Welcome to Shorts, the Christmas episode. I'm Jen Thomas. I live in London, UK. And I'm Lizzie Falconer, and I live in Portland, Oregon. We are two long-distance friends who want to talk about what we're reading. This podcast is about how reading short stories can show the world through different perspectives. Today, we're reading The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. It was first published in December 1905. We've linked the story in the show notes. The Gift of the Magi is a story of a young couple who give up their most precious possessions in order to buy gifts for each other. It's a story about sacrifice and the true meaning of Christmas. I'm just kicking us off with such a cheesy line. I'm just... You know, I, I was listening to a podcast, another podcast about this story to prepare, and it call, it said that this story really captures the sentimentality of Christmas. And you know what? I agree. There's nothing wrong with it. We're leaning into it. We're going to enjoy it today. A hundred percent. I am the kind of person who at Christmas is like, close all the doors, barricade us in, like light the fire, let's watch all the Christmas movies, like... <laughs> anything that talks about kind of sentimentality and there's violins in the background and everyone cries at the end it's a wonderful life on repeat that's me so i'm fully here for this story <laughs> and it's our second annual christmas episode isn't I mean, it jen back by popular demand <laughs> <laughs> maybe just our own demand just <laughs> just you and me we've had a busy year but you better believe we would make time for our christmas episode can't miss it to be honest, a lot of people are like, where is season three? And it is in the works and it is coming. But yeah. we have prioritized the Christmas app over yes. continuing to record season three stories. And I hope that yes. our listeners are okay with that choice and on board. I hope so too. And so Merry Christmas, Jen. Let's just start off with some season's greetings. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. It's uh, December. It's a couple of weeks from Christmas as we're recording. Um, this story, as I reread it this morning... Also, I have to say, gave me some Christmas present anxiety because <laughs> I haven't done my gift giving. And as I, we know, Del, Della in the main, the main character in the story is like, Christmas Eve, I haven't got my gift. <laughs> I was like, I'm here with you. <laughs> that was anxiety provoking. Although I think, I think in the end, we <laughs> hopefully the end took a little bit of that anxiety away. Yeah. I mean, if anything, the moral of this story is... Don't worry, it doesn't matter what you buy anyone. So don't worry too yeah. much about that that Christmas present panic buy. Yeah, I mean, there. I don't think I've ever read this story, actually. Do you know what? I don't think I have. And I know the title so well that I was like, oh, The Gift of the Magi, that's a classic. And then I read it and yeah. was like, nope, never read this before. <laughs> Me too. I was convinced when, when you proposed this. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Know this one. No, I don't. Never heard of these characters before. No. Um, yeah, so maybe we should we should start at the beginning. We start with a pretty, a, a scene that I think many people can relate to. $1.87. That was all. And 60 cents of it was in pennies. Pennies saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until one's cheeks burned with the silent imputation of parsimony that such close dealing implied. Three times Della counted it. $1.87. 
and the next day would be Christmas. Uh oh. Yeah. I mean, I really feel for her. Like this, this begins, and you just know that this is someone who's just. I don't like. Was she waiting for a miracle for that one dollar eighty-seven to become ten dollars for Christmas Eve? I mean, she's just got to this point, going, you know, realizing the next day is Christmas, and she's too late, and she can't. There's no other way to scrape the pennies together. Very anxiety-inducing right off the bat. And you know, there's a section a little bit later on that kind of refers back to this one eighty-seven. Uh, where where it says she'd been saving every penny she could for months with this result. $20 a week doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Only $1.87 to buy a present for Jim. And I just, I was thinking this was written in 1905. It's 2022. Like we're all facing, you know, in different degrees, a huge um you know, cost of living crisis, a recession. And I just thought, you know what? There's people going to be sitting today counting their money, thinking, how am I going to afford the presents that I want to buy for my friends and my family? And I just, that line, expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Just, that just knocked me down. I just thought that's so relevant and heartbreaking for this character in 1905 and for all of us in 2022. Yeah, it's the dual-edged sword of Christmas in that it's supposed to be the merriest time of year about family getting together, love, um, religion for some people. Um, But it is so stressful, and it is such a stressful time, I think, especially for parents, for those who are um, trying to make a beautiful Christmas for their family when things are so expensive. It can take the joy out of it when you're trying to create a beautiful experience and buy presents when there just isn't enough money. Yeah. And when you know that you need that money to, you know, heat your home or to, you know, travel to work or whatever it is that are the kind of the the real um, necessities at this time of year. So I really, I loved this story for setting us in that time, for giving us that moment of, you know, what do you, what do you do when it's, when you're down to your last pennies, when you've done everything you can and you know it's not enough and you don't feel like you're able to reach the expectations that that you want to for the people in your life at this time of year. And it just, it really hit me um, as, as I think, you know, it sounds like it did it did you and, I, and I'm sure that it would have done for the readers in 1905. Yeah. And the first thing that Della does is really very relatable. Uh, It says, there was clearly nothing left to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl. So Della did it, which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. So good. I loved that. Beautiful writing. Also, I love, there was clearly nothing left to do. (laughs) Just so good. Well, this is my only option. Here we go. Just sitting on the couch. (laughs) Life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles. It sounds like something I would have written when I was like 14. Look at that alliteration. Beautiful. Yeah. But then we find out later that that Della and and Jim are not very old. They They are in their very early 20s. So her behavior, both of their behavior here is so sweet and also it is it's quite young it's like young and in love and that's really beautiful yeah it's uh it's very beautiful and so obviously as we kind of move through the story we work out you know she does uh 
decide on a way forward, which is this kind of, you know, she she lets down the, the trestle of her hair and sort of takes one last look in the mirror and then heads out to uh, to cut all of her hair off and sell her hair. Um, mm-hmm. Lizzie, this did make me think of you because you have beautiful, beautiful, what are we oh going to say, auburn hair? Long Thank tresses? you, Jen. Thank you. Um, how oh did you goodness. how did you feel about this section? About the choice Hated that you made? <laughs> Cutting my hair off for a man? I think not. Um <laughs> No, I mean she's you know, the central thing that Dell is trying to do here is get enough money to buy her husband a Christmas present. And I love the way that they talk about the two things that Della and her husband Jim have in their in their kind of their life, which isn't doesn't have a lot of money or excess, is Jim has a watch and she has this hair. And when describing Della's hair, the writer says, had the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across the air shaft, Della would have let her hair hang out the window some day to dry just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. <laughs> Had King Solomon been the janitor with all his treasures piled up in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. So it's like these grand declarations of these two things that they have. It's so good. It speaks to as well what you were saying about their youth and this kind of exuberance. Like, they're just like, if you've got it, flaunt it nature of of their lives. Like, we know that they live in this tiny apartment. We know that they have very little or it feels like they have very little but you know they have this amazing she has amazing hair he has an amazing watch and they're just flaunting that as much as they can and it's just it's just wonderful it's just again it's kind of this playful language this playful writing that makes us feel like this is a youthful couple and kind of very sort of light 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 um writing that really keeps the story kind of plugging along and like just gives us more and more insight into who uh Della is especially Yes. And and they talk about her hair. It's down to her knees. And it says it made itself almost a garment for her. So I'm actually pretty pro Della cutting her hair because that is so much hair. That's a lot of upkeep. It's just a lot. You know, I used to have nightmares about like waking up and my head was shaved, (gasps) which tells you that I'm vain about my hair. Um, But I, you know, I think once it's beyond your knees that's okay to cut it like go for it that is a lot of hair <laughs> that is so much hair I have definitely um so my hair at the moment is probably like just down below just below shoulder length but I have definitely gone short like I've gone short short but I've never shaved my head I've never had that um I've never had that bravery um although I would I obviously like I think a lot of women secretly harbor a desire to shave my head and just assume I'll look amazing like Sinead O'Connor and think actually in real life I'd probably look bad but anyway no I think you'd look amazing <laughs> thank you I so think much. you're one of the few people who can cut who can have any it. length of hair I'm gonna try it do it um, let's do it stay tuned for more on that uh, side <laughs> saga of whether or not I'm gonna shave my head um, but I have gone from like very like from like below the shoulder to short short hair before and it's it does feel like quite a moment when you like get those when that when those scissors come out because also when you have that kind of a dramatic haircut at the if you're at a like a hairdresser at a salon there is no softness to what the hairdressers do like they literally like take all your hair they like cut off the ponytail basically <laughs> like they just it's terrifying yeah yeah our hair i think as women 
men too, but as women especially, um, means a lot about us, represents how we want to be seen in the world, our, the upkeep. There's a lot wrapped up in our hair. And so when Della is deciding that, you know what, she could sell her hair, she has this valuable commodity to get something for her husband, she does have a moment where she kind of tears up. But then she's like, all right, let's go. Let's go sell it to Madame Sophroni. I just love, I mean, it feels like we're in like in the states um and i just love that this is like a madame like who is this french woman madame sophronie i don't know but she's like, i just was like i this cameo character i was like let's follow her where's my sequel at <laughs> this woman because so she just true. says i buy hair take off your hat and let's have a sight at the looks of it 20 dollars, and that is the entire part for this madame in the in the um i don't even know hair gods goods of all kinds store um and i just loved it's <laughs> like this is perfect this is very brusque and that's what i uh that's yeah i think it kind of captures something of that like we're just we're taking it 20 dollars is yours that's it yeah, in twenty dollars—that's a whole month of her wages. And so suddenly, Della's like euphoric, and she's solved her problem, so she thinks. And so they say that, oh, in the next two hours, tripped by on rosy wings. Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. I love this language because also, the Christmas Eve scramble is real friends like even when i was younger i think this was even more because people did so much more kind of in real life shopping obviously but even now if it's christmas eve and you haven't got your gifts like all you can do is go to the store and like all the shops that there are like you're in the mall you're on the high street you're just like has anyone got anything and i just love this idea of like ransacking all the shops like going through every item to find the perfect one. And um, I grew up with uh, two brothers in my house and he, they both would be like, Christmas Eve, turns out they haven't gotten any of their presents. And they'd just be like, go, go, go. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's what it triggered for me. <laughs> yeah, my my brother about six months ago was like, hey, can you put a reminder in your phone to remind me around Christmas to buy everybody gear from the university that I work at? And Wait. I was like, yeah. Yeah, but it was a it was me, a reminder. He didn't put it in his phone. It was for me to remind him to do wow. it. So there are automated man. services that will mm -hmm. ping that reminder to you. Also, I'm super intrigued by the idea of just like merch from your own office as gifts. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. I don't want to pull too hard on that string. I mean, he's he's a football coach, so it's things <laughs> okay. that we can wear when we just it's yeah it's like propagate no it's so that we can support him it's not just stationary from like the office no or... it's like sweatshirts <laughs> it's like very american just branded pencils um <laughs> post-it notes but post-its for everyone i got you this from the office it, there is a cost of living crisis so i think yeah, if anyone yeah. can steal gifts from their own office it would be very acceptable but it sounds like he's buying <laughs> appropriate yeah, he'd be, he'd be buying worry. clothes or things but so Della decides <laughs> so our brothers can't plan is what we've taken shout away out from to this. the brothers uh, uh, Ian if you were listening to this <laughs> you let me know I would be shocked this is I a good you, reminder for Ian to be fair is this why he yeah. meant by setting in a reminder that's true Ian I'm reminding you now <laughs> come on Ian you've got this um, so Della ends up buying um a platinum fob chain, which I think is for a, a watch because Jim's prized 
possession is a watch. So she's like, oh, he can use it for his watch. Is it a pocket watch? Is that what we're talking about we're here? Talking, that he's like pulling out of his pocket? Yeah, we must be talking a pocket watch, I think, 1905. Um, and just the idea of having a watch on a chain. That must be where that is. I mean, I have to say, I'm sad about the demise of the pocket watch as part of our accessories. I mean, now no, oh, people don't even have watches. They just use their phones. Um, Jen, come to Portland, Oregon. There are people alive and well with the pocket watch what? here. The hipsters, the hipsters of Portland, Oregon. There are some pocket watches. This is a kind of cultural exchange that I'm looking for on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> These deep insights oh, and Jen, analysis. Let me introduce you to American <laughs> hipsters. Okay, so back to the story. Back to the story, friends. Christmas episode. Jen and I miss each other and haven't <laughs> haven't been able to talk as much as you can tell. Um, but so she's like, so Della buys this platinum chain for the watch, and she's hyped, which I can relate to. There's nothing better than buying a present for somebody that you know they're really going to like. Yeah, I like to buy something and then try not to tell somebody that I've gotten them a, it for a long time, but I really want to because I'm so excited about yeah. it. Luckily, Very she annoying. has done only last-minute shopping, so she does not have to keep that secret at all because she mm-hmm. gives it to him as soon as he comes home. I mean, she literally had like two hours left. Yeah, like the <laughs> clock was ticking. It's not even like she's buying it the day before. She yeah. gives it to him yep. on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And she gets home and then she's like, oh my God, he's going to be so upset because he loves my hair mm. and I've cut it all off. So she like r- curls it all up. Um, <laughs> and I, she says um, her head was covered with tiny close lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. Incredible. <laughs> I love that line. And I just also love like this moment where she, she whispers to herself, please God, make him think I am still pretty. Oh, heartbreak, heartbreak. I will say at this point, I was prepared to hate Jim. Prepared for the worst, a hundred percent. I don't know if that's just because we've read so many stories where... Just disappointing male characters. (laughs) Disappointing. (laughs) So I was like, Jim sucks. You know, he's going to hate it. He's going to hate her hair. I was like fully ready for what's, you know, she's going to end up on the street and die, you know, like little match girl or something horrible. But no, 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 no. Also, I feel like the author is leading us down that path because when Jim steps in, he looks thin and very serious. Um, It's just like, oh, he's not necessarily, you know, he doesn't feel like he's someone who's kind of coming in with lightness and joy. Says Jim steps inside the door as immovable as a setter at the scent of a quail. I mean, I didn't really even understand what was happening there. What's a setter? What's a quail? But even still, he's immovable. You don't know what a quail is or a setter? Well, I know that quail's eggs are some sort of very fancy food that I've not ever eaten. Mm. Um, I'm going to assume a setter is a dog. Yeah, it's a type of dog. And they and they hunt. They, like, point. So they get all immobile And when they see a quail and point with their bodies and freeze so they don't scare the quail but alert the hunters. But You're welcome. I'm a fountain <laughs> of dog information. Okay, so what the listeners at home didn't get, which I got, <laughs> was also Lizzie's uh, posture, which was starting to act out what it would be like to be a setter where her whole body was moving and she looked very alert and it was very good setter impression obviously i've only just found out what setter was but i really felt like i saw something <laughs> new and exciting in you <laughs> when this becomes the rails. when the podcast becomes a netflix tv special 
um, we can <laughs> include such moments as this. <laughs> you know, manifestation. <laughs> All right. Coming to the end, uh, more or less, you know, Jim is staring at her and Della is very nervous. So she's like, um, she's like, don't you like me just as well? Anyhow, I'm me without my hair, ain't I? And Jim's kind of looking around at her and he can't seem to understand that she's cut her hair and she just keeps rambling and rambling. And then he, then he redeems himself. Yes. It says out of his trance, Jim seemed to quickly wake. He enfolded his Della. Love. Love that. It also makes me feel like she's, like, really petite. Like, he's just come in, this, like, tall, thin man, and somehow he's, like, completely enveloped her in this embrace. I love that. The the narrator, we haven't talked about this yet, the narrator kind of pulls us out of the story a couple times and, Mm -hmm. like, talks directly to us. And one is here. It says, for 10 seconds, let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. $8 a week or a million a year, what's the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. And so it's asking us to look at this scene of them hugging and embracing and say, all of this stress, all this stress for these presents, like what is the true value that's being brought here? Yeah, yeah. And I also like this sort of all-knowing narrator, because just after the passage you read, it said, this dark assertion will be illuminated later on. It's like, I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> Hold that thought. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to come back into the room, but in a, in a minute, you're going to need to know the thing I just said to you, so hold it in. I just <laughs> I love this kind of... Um, the way that it takes us between the scene, this that takes us between the scenes and then has this very authoritative narrator's voice. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because Della and Jim are so young and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of silly. And so then we find out, you know, that the reason that Jim has been staring at her and kind of confused is he says, you know, Della, go open the gift. And he's bought her this beautiful set of tortoiseshell hair combs. Yeah. Which it sounds like she has been thinking about and wishing and hoping for, 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 you know, possibly years, you know, it says they were expensive combs she knew and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. So this is something she's thought about, but she thought she'd never be able to own because obviously they just don't have anything. They don't have any money. Um, But of course, we immediately understand that kind of irony of like, well, now she has the combs, but she doesn't have the hair. And they, but they still have that real preciousness because she knows that her husband has gone out of his way somehow to get these for her. And she says, my hair grows so fast, Chip. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm still going to use them. I'm still going to use them, uh, which I love. Yeah. And then Jim opens her present and, you know, oh, the way that Jim paid for those combs he, it turns out, is with his watch. Oh, no. So he so oh, he got God. combs for the hair that she cut off, and she got him um, that pocket watch thing Chain. for his watch. <laughs> Chain. I'm like, what is it? <laughs> Ask the hipsters. Um, <laughs> for for the watch that he sold. It's very, su- it's very sweet. I mean, and also, like, I really didn't see it coming. I mean, this is one of these things. Obviously, the main thing about this story and the reason it's, I think it's endured is this kind of incredible twist at the end and this major irony. And I, I thought that I didn't, I didn't 
anticipate at all the combs or the fact that the watch would have been already sold and I just it's it's a it's a beautiful twist in such a short story like we talk a lot about kind of unexpected endings and the sort of you know how much you have to condense into into the short short stories that we read but this is very petite this story is very very short and to to lead us down that rabbit hole without realizing or anticipating that twist would come I thought was so so clever I do too and I love a story that we read where no one dies you know (laughs) or there isn't you know this is just this is really sweet and then the author brings us back to this idea of the magi um and were the wise men who brought gifts to Jesus in the manger um, and started this idea of Christmas presents and just bringing us back to the the love that happens in the exchange of presents and and the real the real root of it is the care that happens absolutely and the final passage of the story I'm, I'm going to read because I think it's really really beautifully articulated is from this kind of all-knowing narrator kind of coming back out of the story back out of the scene and really observing it with us and the final passage is the magi as you know were wise men wonderfully wise men who brought gifts to the babe in the manger they invented the art of giving christmas presents being wise their gifts were no doubt wise ones possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they were wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi. It's a beautiful sort of message that, you know, if you find something that will bring joy to the people in your life, that that is, that is the kind of the biggest gift. If you can make a sacrifice on behalf of somebody that you love, that is, that is the kind of wisest choice you can make. And it's a gorgeous moral on a very simple story. And it really... I think is a powerful one and I think it obviously speaks to why this story is still being read in 2022. Yeah, I really really enjoyed it. I'm so happy we chose it for our second Christmas episode. Our, I hope everyone enjoyed it too. I hope you take the time to read it um, and we're looking forward to sharing more stories with everybody in season three. Absolutely, it is on its way and uh obviously until then i hope everyone has very happy holidays and a happy happy new year and we'll talk to you all soon thanks for reading with me lizzie thanks for reading with me jen